Radio Mano Papachango. I'm sitting on a, what is this, a butte, a mesa, a, a, a high spot in the desert uh, just outside of Terlingua, Texas, which is at the western entrance to Big Bend National Park. Here's what happened. You know, this is this is my favorite thing in the world. These are my two favorite things in the world combined last night. One is traveling and the other is podcasting. I'll tell you how that happened. Cassie and I were planning to go into Big Bend. We got to the entrance, and the guy said, oh, the campgrounds are all full. I recommend you go back to Terlingua and, uh, you know, find a place to stay there and then come back early in the morning and, you know, try to get a campsite, you know, before the crowds arrive. So, shit, we turned around, went back to this little town, Terlingua, which doesn't really look like there's a lot going on. There's like a ghost town and a couple of stores and a gas station and uh, a lot of, lot of dirt and rock. And, uh... So we're like, all right, we'll just like get some dinner and we'll find some inconspicuous place to pull in and hope nobody bothers us and uh, and we'll just wait for tomorrow. And then I remember that on, well, first I couldn't remember if it was an email or where it came from, but somebody had written to me saying, hey, if you go to Terlingua, you know, say hi or whatever. And so I went looking through all my emails and finally I found that it was, it was a guy who wrote to me through Instagram and he said that he had a buddy here who was an interesting guy and we should look him up if we got to Terlingua. And uh, his name, let's see, the guy who re- reached out to me was Boone Street. So follow Boone Street on Instagram, everybody. And the buddy that he wanted me to meet, his handle on Instagram is Beer Peddler, P-E-D-A-L-E-R. He's Tony. And... Uh, Anyway, I did. I, I said, hey, I sent this guy, Tony, a message through Instagram. Hey, uh, turns out I'm in, in Terlingua, your buddy. I don't know what the hell his name is, but he said we should say hi. Ten minutes later, I got a message saying, cool, you know, come meet us at this restaurant where we're with some friends. Uh, we did. Their friends are amazing. It was a fantastic crowd. We're having a great time drank a bunch of beer then we like hey come back we're building a fire and came back hung out by the fire under the stars telling stories it was fantastic had a great fucking night and we're still interlingua i don't know when we're gonna leave we might just move here uh fascinating people really cool community lots of great stuff going on i mean for example we're sitting there having eating dinner and everybody's talking and i don't remember how it came up uh i guess maybe because cassie grew up in africa or something and we're talking about africa and how things are kind of dirty there but it makes people healthier because of the microbiome and if you listen to this podcast you know i'm into that like i've had the guy on who does the fecal transplants i had the doctor on who does the worm therapy so that's sort of a recurring theme in the podcast and I said, oh, you know, I, I remember reading some article about a guy, written by a guy who was in Tanzania with the Hadza hunter-gatherers, and he took some of their shit and mixed it up and squirted it up his own ass so he could get some of their microbiome and, and colonize his own colon with the microbiome of the hunter-gatherers. And then they said, well, that's that guy. And they point down to the other end of the table, and it's a guy named Jeff. And there he is. That's Jeff. I read about Jeff squirting hunter-gatherer shit up his ass. And last night I met him in Terlingua, Texas. So go fucking figure. Uh, Jeff's, you can learn more about Jeff and what he's up to at humanfoodproject.com. I don't know Jeff's last name, but it's humanfoodproject.com. And uh, I'm going to be doing a podcast with him tomorrow 
So that'll be coming soon. In the meantime, I've got a backlog of fantastic podcast uh, conversations that I haven't released. And God knows when I'm going to get them out, up and out because of the lack of Wi-Fi and, you know, all the rest of the, the challenges of traveling and all that. But this episode is one that I just recorded the other day uh, with a guy... Uh, John, now I can't remember what his last name is, sorry. This is real seat-of-the-pants stuff here, folks. You know, this is this is homegrown podcasting. So, uh, John, John, Cassie, do you remember what John's name was, the guy on the bike? Uh, John, uh, yes, it's not the Shit, I'm going to have to edit this. <laughs> I wanted to do this without editing. Anyway, John, we met John at a rest stop uh, driving through Arizona, and we went in to buy some dates in this place. It's called Dateland. And I uh, went in to buy some dates, and there was this dude on a bicycle that was fitted up for uh, fitted out for a long trip. And we started chat- chatting with him, and turns out this guy's fascinating. He's traveled all over the world on his bicycle he um he's a portuguese dude originally born in portugal but raised in france mostly and it's been in the u.s for 30 some years and uh he's a a photographer photojournalist and hardcore long distance bike rider he rode from i think he said one trip started at cabo de roca which is the westernmost point of europe continental europe and he rode his bike to Hanoi. Dig that. Take a look at a globe and see that's all the way across Asia. He's done most of the Silk Route. And he was, when we met him, he was training uh, for a trip this year. I think this summer he was saying in to go across China if he can get the paperwork. So uh, fascinating guy. Really cool. Um, he's... He was riding from El Paso to San Diego and back, I believe, was his intention. Um, John Duarte. That's his name. John Duarte. Sorry, John. Took me a while to remember your name there. (laughs) Anyway, enjoy this episode with John Duarte. Uh, Commercial free, as always. If you want to support the podcast, you know how to do it through that Amazon affiliate link on my webpage or through patreon.com and if you don't want to support the podcast and you just want to listen for free well what the fuck why not hope you enjoy it and i'll be back to you soon with another one of these things greetings from where are we terlingua Terlingua, texas bye everybody all right this is my favorite kind of episode uh today's guest is a guy I met about five minutes ago in front of a rest stop in where the hell we're in Dateland I think it's Dateland called? Arizona Dateland Arizona what is your name I don't even know your name John. John John Duarte John Duarte so here's the story Cassie and I Cassie had to pee this is all because Cassie had to pee <laughs> we stopped at a rest stop and there's this guy with a bike obviously he's on a long trip and we start chatting and uh, half, you know, five minutes into the chat, I ex- explained that I had a podcast and asked if John would be willing to delay his onward travel a little bit to share his story with us. So here, here we are. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you. It's very. Thank you, for you haven't me. had time to get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's a, what I know is that John is going from El Paso to San Diego, then turning around and coming back. And that for him, that's kind of a small ride. Actually, I am not going from El Paso. I started in Tucson. Oh, geez, I already fucked it up. So, so I, uh, I had initially thought about doing it from El Paso to um, to San Diego, um, but as the timing went, ended up having a um, short story. Uh, my wife took a couple of days off, and we went to spend a couple of days in Tucson because it was supposed to be sunny, yeah. and it started raining. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she came. From, ride. She came from the northeast, and uh, we spent um, four days in Tucson, uh, mostly under rainy skies. Right. And uh, meanwhile, 
the um, warm weather went back east. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, we have a buddy so, who just flew in from uh, Toronto uh, to L.A., and he said that it got really cold in L.A., and he said it was actually warmer in Toronto than it was in L.A. Uh, I believe that. Ago. It was 35 degrees this morning at 7 a.m. in, uh, um, where did I start from? Oh, Gillibend. In Gillibend. And last, and the night before I camped, and in the morning, my tent, at 6 a.m., my tent was covered in frost. Mm. And so, anyway, so I started from Tucson Airport, and, um, I'm going to, so this is my spring training, and I call it the border run. Mm. I'm going to uh, Imperial Beach, right at the wall. Right. So I'm going to go all the way to the Pacific Ocean, just the wall there, uh, Friendship Park, they call it. Yeah. And there's a big wall there now. <laughs> Some friendship. So, uh, so I'm starting from there back, and I intend to make it all the way to El Paso at least, maybe further. So if I go further, I'll go to Del Rio, but um, I have to be back east. So I have four weeks altogether to ride. So and, where, where do you live? Uh, West Virginia. Ah. So um, anyway... Uh, this uh, last fall, I actually initiated a trip to make it from the east to the west. And my intent was to finish in San Diego. And there's this um, American Cycling, uh, uh, Adventure Cycling, uh, American Adventure Cycling Association as a mapped out route that goes from San Augustine, Florida to San Diego, which is called the Southern Tier. And I started out uh, from my hometown, um, Morgantown, West Virginia, and made it all the way to uh, South Carolina. Fortunately, I had a family issue um, and I had to go back home. Mm. So I interrupted my trip and did not make it. Um, so I spent uh, three months on my butt. And let me tell you, when you spend three months on your butt, on a um, soft chair uh, you're going to pay for it when you get back on the bike <laughs> so um, I set out from uh, Tucson on Monday and uh, it's slow going because I get wind in my face it's the wind prevalent winds at this time of the year are blowing from the coast so uh, mm. got up to uh, um the day I left Tucson, the winds were up to 35 miles an hour with gusts to 45 in the evening, and it rained, and it was not the most pleasant of experiences. And I was like, what did I get into? I thought it was going to be all warm and sunny. <laughs> do, so, do you have that sort of moment at the beginning of every ride where you say, why did I, why did I do this again? No. No? Okay. I mean, I'm, I guess when I do something, I'm kind of committed to it and say, that's it. I'm going for it. Yeah. It's kind of like when I jumped out of an airplane, you know, said. No, no stopping now, you know. Yeah, too late. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, have you done that a lot, this skydiving? Uh, no, just a little bit. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I guess I, if you do it once, it's enough. That's a lot, right the, there. The, the worst wind that I've gotten was actually in Montana. Uh, the first time I went across country, which I did from the Pacific coast to the east and I got these winds up in Montana that I couldn't make more than five miles an hour one day and I was just like oh man wind is worse than going up mountains because mm. when you go up a mountain and you always have a downhill on the other side mm. but the wind if it just keeps on kicking you know it's like all day it's right. just like so right. when you get into these prevalent winds sometimes it's good to know what the wind is going to be like yeah do you run into any wild animal situations in Montana? Uh, no. You know, uh, no bears I've, chasing you. No bears chasing me, but I didn't. You know, I went across Yellowstone, and um, I uh, just tried to be careful. You know, not not to be tempting the gods. <laughs> so, um, I read a few years ago about this guy that lived up there that went um, hiking around in uh, Yellowstone and uh, didn't even have any bear spray and he got mauled yeah. and uh, I guess that was uh, that was before my trip and I said well 
remember, you go up there, don't go tempt the gods. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have not had any issues really, probably, uh, I don't know. You go, so I've been cycling now for many years, but long distance cycling only started in 2013. So you were uh, racing before? Uh, no, I've never raced. Just, um, just did mountain biking. I never really thought I had to be, I guess, proving myself. Didn't <laughs> get so much a kick for that. Right. Um, I've done some races, and I guess at uh, um, I could have done pretty good, I guess, if I had gotten into that. But that was not my intent to uh, to to get into racing. Uh, but I would say that I'm first a traveler and second a cyclist. Mm. And I've discovered that cycling is uh, even more adventurous than motorcycling. So, uh, for you're a long touch with the people, yeah, um, yeah. you see things from the mo from the bicycle that you will not see from any other methods of transportation. And you go faster than walking, but then you cover more distance. And uh, if you intend to go around the world walking, it's going to be a very, very, very long time. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a guy that is in, intending to uh, go all across Asia walking, and he is he is uh, doing this gig for um, for National Geographic, um, and he is probably already two years behind schedule from the schedule from what he had intended to do starting three years ago. So mm. um, you can't be in a hurry. No. Um, and uh, so cycling is really an amazing way to, to see the world. Um, people have asked me, is, is it hard? Don't you feel lonely? Well, yeah, if you go out some days, it's, um, you can feel a little lonely. You can feel a little uh, uh, out there. Um, but... Um, Cycling also confers you a, uh, uh, I say, what I was trying to say was diplomatic immunity. Um, and I traveled across Central Asia. So here's a story. I started out um, doing the long distance cycling by, um, okay, so the whole story is this. I broke my pelvis on a bicycle, uh, a mountain bike um, crash back in uh, 2009 when I was 50 years old. And before that, I only did short runs. Sometimes I would do 50 miles, but if I did 50 miles one weekend, I wouldn't ride again for another week. And uh, so I never thought about going long distance. But while I was doing recovery for my um, uh, my pelvic injury which put me in a hospital for a total of like two months Oof. and it was six months recovery learning back to walk again really? you know, you, oh, it's uh you know it's one of those things when you when you um i mean it was a bad it was a bad um injury so you said you were 50 I was 50. And the, this happened in West Virginia? This happened in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. First week of class in a college town hit by a college student, an 18-year-old college student. Uh, that's, how, that's how it went, you know? Yeah. So it <laughs> so, wasn't even that you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing. It no, just, I was going down the road, and, uh, and this guy just uh, got in his car and just, bam, just turned right into me uh, without even looking. So, so yeah, you're on two wheels. You're always going to be more exposed uh so um here's the thing to to know if you want to be biking you always have to be watching you have to be watching what's behind you what's in front of you what's to your sides that's the first rule of the road is you want to go a long distance you have to be taking care of your safety first and foremost yeah uh, that would be my advice to anybody that wants to cycle and go long distances. You have to be aware of your surroundings. I mean, you should be anytime you're on the road, but on the bicycle, you're very exposed. Yeah. Uh, so during my recovery, I did a lot of recumbent cycling, 
and I just cycled for uh, miles and miles and miles. I mean, I would get there sometimes for two hours straight, and it was, and and um, um, so. I got a, a knee injury also, and I found out that I could not hike anymore as I was doing that, as I was doing before, you know, climbing mountains, um, running. Uh, the doctor said pretty much, I think, that you have to think about giving that up. So at 50, I started cycling more. And then um, I started thinking about going on a trip um, uh, on a motorcycle. And uh, found out that, uh, well, uh, I was having some issues. Past 50, at 52, you know, it was like I tried to accelerate. And after 100 miles, my wrist was just like bugging me. And I said, man, I can't even go 200 miles. I used to go 800 miles in a day on a, on a motorcycle. What kind of motorcycle was it? <laughs> Dual purpose across the desert. Man, I tore up these roads. Out west, New Mexico, Arizona. Yeah. I did many days at 600 miles a day. It was like a 500 cc. Yeah, uh, 600. But yeah. but uh, yeah. so um, so you know, past 50, time to slow down a little bit. Yeah. And went back to cycling and started getting on long distance trips. And then one day I said, Hey, can I do this for longer distance? So so my first trip was actually on um, uh, CNO Canal. Well, the the Allegheny pass and the cno canal which is a great trail we have like from pittsburgh all the way to washington dc you can be off roads really the entire the entire length so uh um it's an old shipping canal so the cno canal is old shipping canal you know so it was the first uh, the first canal of the u.s that went uh, uh from um uh georgetown washington to cumberland um maryland and then the the uh, Allegheny Pass is the old railroad track that uh, goes from uh, Pittsburgh all the way to uh, to Cumberland. So, you know, you've got a grade up to three percent max mm. across the Eastern Continental Divide. So I did mm, went there, did nice. that, you know, say four days, three hundred and eighty miles. I said I can do that. So uh, after that, I did uh, around Cuba. Or in Cuba. Uh, That's an interesting choice. <laughs> Cuba in three weeks. Um, was that hard to get a visa for that? Uh, not for me. <laughs> well, I guess uh, being a photojournalist, uh, you can uh, you can. I mean, if you're if you're going documenting situations, you can you can uh, easily go. And uh, mm. Cubans don't really require you to have a visa, so it's more the United States. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, and there's plenty of. Ways to get there so um, so Europe I've cycled a good bit in Europe I mean I started out on a trip in Europe and I thought I was going to do 2,000 miles ended up doing about uh, 3,200 so um, was that the trip that started in Portugal no that was that was a long distance trip and then I did uh, cross the USA, so from uh, Seattle all the way back to uh, so Seattle to um, uh, to um, uh, Oregon, and then followed the Lewis and Clark route mm. part of the way to um, to Montana, and then uh, back east uh, across Colorado, well uh, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado and uh kansas all the way back to uh yorktown so um kansas must have been boring as hell well it's you know just doing this part of arizona (laughs) call it boring you know i guess so but uh so um that's that's pretty much following the trans-america route yeah um, so Transamerica was first done, uh, so it's also called a Route 76 uh, bicycle, which was first done in uh, 1976 as a commemoration to the Bicentennial. Yeah, I remember was, that. Yeah. The Bicentennial, yeah. Uh, so um, made it to Yorktown and then from Yorktown to Morgantown. It's another week. I'm just asking Cassie to take a picture of us while we're here. This is uh... so this uh, this was this was the ride that then said, "Hey, uh, now I got to go around the world." So yeah. um, 
so I uh, next planned to do this uh, long distance trip and uh, debated on where I would start. I was really interested in the first guys that went around the world on a bicycle, which was, um, so you had Stevens in 1886 on a, on a, um, uh, a um, tall bike. You know, the, with the common. big front wheel? Yeah. Went around the world on that? Yeah. Well, he didn't do uh, as much cycling as you would do now. But uh, yeah. in 1886, that was an amazing ride. It was, took him like three years to ride it. And those have no suspension or anything. No. <laughs> but that but that 60-inch 60, 60 wheel it's, uh, makes it um, uh, smoother going across um, uh, ruts and yeah. it was mostly on unpaved roads you're uh, gonna think yeah. also yeah yeah i think he did about fourteen thousand miles on that trip 1886 you yeah. said wow. uh, when he started yeah then you had these two two kids just out of high school or just out of college that was um uh, shallow ben and allen that uh started in 1892 um, or i guess like maybe 91 or 92 and they um, they actually were not cyclists. They went to England and had intended to go to to Europe to finish their their uh, classic education, uh, study some Greek, and and they got to England. And this craze of the newly uh, developed um, 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 safety cycle, which has two two wheels of the same size, mm. this was just taken off. So they just decided that they would be trying to bicycle. So they got got two bikes, um, started uh, started uh, um, writing for this magazine. It's called the Penny Illustrated that existed back then, which was sort of an outdoors type uh, of of magazine, and went first from uh, London to. Uh, to Athens, then spend a winter in Athens. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing that you would take three years to do. One of them had to go back to London, get new bicycles, because by then they were worn out, you know. So then uh, they went across Asia, and they were the first ones for a long time, the first Europeans, or Westerners, because not Europeans, Americans, that were known to have crossed China. So they made it all the way to Beijing, in uh, by 1894 something and nobody really believed them at first that they had crossed all of this expanse of over central asia so uh there's actually a, a collection of their of their photographs that is housed at ucla now oh. so they took a good amount of pictures and, and they're publicly available yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, yeah, they're a collection at uh, um, UCLA. And they were lugging a lot of equipment. Um, they were lugging was... a camera and, uh, and enough equipment. Tripods to, to make, and yeah. like well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, they were, I think, using some of the first, um, one of the first cameras that did not require glass plates. Because uh, the 1880s, that's when that was... uh, Edwin Curtis was doing his photographs of the Native Americans. Yeah, but I think this was one of the first cameras that did did not require uh, um, glass plates. Huh. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what uh, I read somewhere about the camera, but um, can't exactly tell you what it was now. Speaking of photography, you, you mentioned you're a photojournalist. Yeah. Do you do primarily travel, Nat Geo sort of stuff? Or? Oh, what I wanted to do, what was always fascinating to me, was sports photography. Mm. Expedition sports photography. Uh, expedition, right. So combining so, it with your yeah. exploring. And so uh, for that, I followed things like the Dakar Rally. Uh. Uh, and uh, adventure racing, world adventure racing, which is multi—it's um, running, hiking, bicycling, and uh, you have a series of races that um, that happen around the world. Mm. So I followed a few of those. Um, Let's mention your website while we're on the subject here. Uh, what is it, J? Well, my blog site is is um, JM. D photo with an F uh, dot net right, but, and uh, that it's, takes it's an the... on it's a non commercial site, so but people can um, see some of yeah. your work there. Um, so it's um, uh, the most in interesting thing to me in travel is to see people cultures and um, 
I suppose I have a uh, um, another aim, which is to show how how similar people are all around the world. In the end, right. um, it's it's amazing as you travel and you meet different people, and uh, you find yourself in places where you think you know you'd be it'd be scary to go there. Um, long time ago, somebody told me, well. 98% of the people in the world are good people. The trick is you never know, or actually 99% of the people in the world are good people. The trick is you never know who the 1% are. And uh, that could be anywhere. Uh, so uh, you can come across, you know, 10,000 people, and you say, well, if you follow that statistic, uh, that means that there could be 100 bad ones there. And... Um, it may not be. I don't think actually the statistic is as is as bad as as one in in, in a hundred. You know, yeah. I think it's it's maybe one in a thousand. Um, so uh, it's it's always you know you anywhere you go you have to always watch yourself. You know, you can get mugged in L.A. as you can get in New York or in Paris. The trick, I mean, the thing in the United States is you can you can lose your life literally for $20 yeah. which is unlikely to happen in um, uh, let's say Valparaiso, Chile or yeah. uh, or uh, um, you know Istanbul or, or Paris you're not likely to lose your life for $20. People right. might mug you or take your wallet um, but uh, in the US it's more likely that somebody will have a gun yeah, it's more likely to be violent. I, I lived in Barcelona most of my adult life, and I got robbed several times. Everyone I know has been robbed. But nobody's ever had a weapon, you yep. know, pulled on them. It, it's, yeah, it's you're likely to lose the $20 in Paris or Barcelona, yeah. but you're not likely to be hurt. Yeah. 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 So, um, people are amazingly similar you know in the end you know human beings you know we're we're this species that um it's it fascinates me to to see how people live in different places and um America is a great country. You can travel freely across a vast expanse without having to have a passport. And mm -hmm. I mean, you can go coast to coast and no yeah. border checks. Uh, well, uh, you may get pulled at 3 a.m. Uh, camping behind a church, and the cops come up and say, "Come up with your come up." <laughs> Come out with your, with, with your hands up out of your tent because really? that has happened to me, you know, in uh, South Carolina, camping behind a church, and uh, that was the only time I got busted <laughs> like, in the middle make of the night. Your hands up, I and mean, you're in a fucking tent behind a church. Come on. So um, yeah, that's scary. Uh, it could be, but. Um, uh, you can go across the country and uh, you don't have to be, you know, have all of these checks and you go across Asia and man, it's just mm -hmm. like sometimes it's 50 miles and another border check or if not the border check, it's like another police control. It's yeah. like um, and uh, it it can it can be intimidating and scary at times. Um you can go across a vast area of Europe now or multiple countries without a passport, but then when you go past Italy, that's it. You start having to get your passport out. Yeah. Um, What's the longest trip you've been on? So the longest trip was across Asia. So I started at the westernmost point in uh, continental Europe, which is Cabo da Roca, um, near Sintra, Portugal. And uh, so... Um, I made it all the way to um, Hanoi. Hanoi, uh, yeah. So, uh, so. Wow! Can uh, you can you tell us the country? So Portugal, Spain. So Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, Slovenia, um, uh, Croatia, uh, um, Bosnia Herzegovina, right. um, Montenegro, uh, Greece, Turkey. 
Did you go was, all across Turkey? Yeah, yeah, all the way across Turkey. Wow. I was in I was in Istanbul the day they had the terrorist attack at uh, at the airport. Right. Uh, so that was 2016. Right. And then my last day in Turkey was the day of the coup in uh, in Ankara and uh, Ooh, and the attempted um, coup. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was a coup anyway. But uh, Ankara <laughs> yeah. and uh, it was a coup and by Erdogan. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. So uh, as I was getting out that day, actually, I planned on staying another day in Turkey and then uh, uh, about midday people were all around the, the TV screens and um, and I was like it took me a while to understand what was going on you know I don't speak Turkish so if you want to go across Asia the two most usable languages for that are Turkish and Russian sorry and you don't have either one I don't have either one you speak what Portuguese so, English what else uh, Portuguese English Spanish and uh um, Italian, I guess. Uh, no, uh, Portuguese, Portuguese, French, uh, uh, French Spanish, yeah. and English. Yeah. And I used to uh, dabble in German, learn a little German. But German is like this language that you know, if you don't speak it for thirty years, mm. um, it really goes away. Yeah. You know? And Italian, yeah. I can't understand it, uh, but it's not a language that I would say I speak. You know, right. Um, used to be able to communicate pretty well in Italian, but uh, so European languages. So I never learned the other ones that yeah. Russian or Mandarin that I wanted to at one point. But uh, so you were leaving. You left Turkey into Iran. So so from Turkey, you know. Um, aside there so I was near the border of Iran so um, my first trip actually to the Middle East was when I was 18 years old hmm. so um, but I went to um, the easternmost part of Turkey um, uh, and then went up north to Georgia and Georgia uh -huh. Azerbaijan uh, okay. then across the Caspian Sea right and uh, from there to to uh, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan to um, Uzbekistan, all the stands. Yeah. From Uzbekistan to Tajikistan, Tajikistan to Kyrgyzstan. And um, uh, Azerbaijan is... Uh, requires, you know, to get a visa for that, it's, it's, uh, it's more... Um, it's more of a hassle than some other countries. And then uh, uh, Kazakhstan, for an American, unless it has changed recently, you, you did not need a, a visa or for two weeks if you were just transiting through. Uzbekistan is a tough one to get a visa. Uh, I wanted to, to get a 30-day visa, and I only got a 10-day visa. This was about the time that they were having um, their commemorations of independence, and uh, they didn't want any... Uh, loose foreigners around the country I guess they were afraid for their uh, beloved leader who ended up dying during the celebrations of uh, a heart attack which people say was because he drunk himself to death mm. <laughs> so that was 2016 Happy with all his power so so that was the end of the regime of uh, I don't remember his name but could, could you get through in 10 days uh, well, I had to take the train, oh, so okay, I went. Okay. Uh, I ended up getting in a train and doing several days of desert crossing, but I went uh, hit the the most in impressive sites of the old Silk Road, Kiva, um, Samarkand, mm. uh, places that I had read so much about yeah. for, for a long time and yeah. worth worth the trip. Uh, definitely, you know, those are the the, the places in the Silk Road. Um, then, uh, um, so from, from there ended up having to take a, take a taxi to get out because they told me, uh, you better not go past your, ex uh, past your, uh, 10 day visa or the, the fine is $1,500 and a risk of 10 days jail. There's <laughs> another so, 10 days for you. Yeah. So, uh, so I said, <laughs> took a taxi. Um, 800 kilometers 
Uh, eight, I mean, not 800 kilometers. I'm sorry. Eight eight hours of taxi time to the border. Yeah. To uh, to get out in time and just got to the border at uh, like nine o'clock and uh, uh, nine p.m. And it was more trouble to get out of out of Uzbekistan than it was to get in. Really? <laughs> it's like they just like want to see everything that you have. I mean, it was more trouble to get out. At, at the entry, I got in by train from Kazakhstan, and they controlled my stuff, my, my passport, but uh, basically little else. To get out, they went through all my luggage. They wanted to see my cell phone, so if you have anything in your cell phone, they're going to look through it. They don't know what they're looking for, but they're looking through it. Mm. So... Um, Luckily, I had my little laptop hidden away in the middle of my clothes, and they didn't see it. Otherwise, that would have been... Really? Wow. So uh, they just wanted to see, you know, the camera, what pictures were in it. Yeah. It was just like... I was at that border post for two and a half hours to get out and um, get into uh, Tajikistan. And in Tajikistan, it was uh, fairly easy. I uh, just got a visa at the border. And uh, actually, no, um, just just backtrack this. The visa for Tajikistan I had obtained two days before by email. So I just had to have a printout of the email. And including with that was for the, for the special territories. Um, uh, um, oh gosh, I can't say now the the the, na- the name. Um, uh, Sorry, doesn't um, matter. Doesn't Tajikistan anyway, is so is Tajikistan was in the civil war a uh, decade back, and they have the special territories up in the mountains that border Afghanistan. Uh. So um, that's a long ride. That's following the. So I followed the um, uh, Pamir Highway. Right. So from uh, Dushanbe, um, Tajikistan, then so I made it from Samarkand, taking a taxi to the border with with Tajikistan, and then went up to Dushanbe, and then from Dushanbe um, took the 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 Pamir Highway, the the roof of the world road through the Himalayas. Takes and that's not the Himalayas. But you know it's foothills of the Himalayas. And you're going wait, you're going the southern. So it goes goes south and then go north. So did you go through Pakistan? No, 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 no. Just just uh, through, uh, just through Tajikistan, and uh, so you go along the border with Afghanistan for uh, for a period of time. It's uh, it's deserty, so uh, it's like. Uh, Crossing the southwest, you know, it's a good good training for that kind of route. So you're buying food as you go from yeah, people? Yeah, buying food as I go. You know, sometimes I have to carry as much water water enough for three days across, you know, parts of the desert in uh, in Uzbekistan. Uh, and this was uh, August, or July, August, when, when I was going across um, Uzbekistan and three days of desert, you have to have enough water. You know, yeah. you got you got to have water for two days with you. And at that point, I'm using like a quart of water, a quart an hour, right. pretty much. So um, yeah, you got to carry enough water. So that puts a lot a lot of weight on you. you yeah, know, you got to you know if you want to carry get some fresh food. Um, what, what do you eat? Uh, you know, I eat the local fare, but I get as much fruit as I can. They go, you know, nuts. Uh, in some parts, it's easy to get nuts and dried uh, raisins. Yeah. And, you know, that across the stands, it's generally easy. Uh, I eat the local fare, you know, and people have pretty limited diets. You know, it, yeah. it's it's a mountainous it's a mountainous region with um, high altitude, cold. Um, it, you know, it's you don't you don't have uh, a lot of gardens with a lot of vegetables growing, you know, yeah. throughout. So, um, uh, a, a typical fare in, in Tajikistan is is like a, a soup with with a piece of mutton, yeah, and uh, one potato or some onion and uh, uh, maybe a little bit of carrot. Uh, are so. there restaurants per se, or do, do people, yeah, there are restaurants just feed you and you give them. Some you know, it's well. Some sometimes yes, but there are restaurants. There are there are these restaurants on the side of the road. Um, 
uh, these restaurants where you spend the night also and they just oh, have right. uh, it's it's uh, so that that part of the, that part of the year you know it's it's hot and dry so you sleep outside you know they have these they have these beds uh, which I don't know what they're called anymore that are like raised it's a raised platform and you just everybody eats in there and you can sleep there spend mm. the night so um, so it was a fascinating it was a fascinating trip definitely um, without speaking the language I had many conversations you know um, <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, yeah you learn how to do that yeah. <laughs> you, uh, you speak with sign language you know you use some numbers you make some pictures and uh, you show people some pictures and and they uh, and uh, you know you communicate you know it's like uh, you know uh, you, you tell them you have kids they show the pictures of their kids you show mm -hmm. them the picture of your kid they show the picture of their kids yeah. um, lots of invitations for tea you know uh, tea is is the beverage of Asia and um, uh, It is the most popular, tea is the most popular beverage around the world after water. So, so uh, it actually didn't dawn on me until I was on this trip that really tea was, was going to be the beverage. Because, you know, that's probably one of the first merchandises that, that was transacted on the Silk Road. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, it's pretty amazing to just, you know, um, it's... Uh, it's discovering the cultures discovering you understand things on the road that reading books for years you don't understand right you know there's some things you you, you getting out on the road for me what i get going out on the road is you get the sights you get the sounds you get the smells, smells yeah and then you've got the temperature changes you know it's like yeah. um understanding th this is all the, the the feelings that your body you know if you're sitting at home you know uh i i at the beginning of this trip i said you know um i need the motivation of going out on the road and and um experiencing uh everything that 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 comes at you I can't just sit on a bike in a gym and be on a Peloton-like Peloton training schedule, you know? Peloton doesn't give you the wind, you know? Doesn't give mm. you the, the, the changes in temperature. You know, this yeah. morning it was 35 degrees when I started riding. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, uh, the high expected here in, uh, in this uh, southern Arizona uh, country today was supposed to be about uh, 63. Maybe it'll go up to 65. Once you start rolling, I'm, I'm wearing three layers today. Yeah. So uh, this is something that you got to cope with this as you go along. It's not something that uh, you can get from, uh, you know, a training on a stationary bike and even yeah. following the images that they throw at you. You um, mentioned earlier that you lived in Portugal till you were 13? Uh, right? Nine. Oh, till you were nine. Mm -hmm. Oh, Cassie was 13, <laughs> yeah. Um, your family moved? Is, is your, was your father... Uh, yeah, my different? father moved... My family moved to France. Uh, so uh, my family was uh, one of those immigrants that uh, went to France. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm an immigrant. I'm, I'm an American immigrant. I was a French immigrant, I guess, so an immigrant to France first right. in my life. Uh French, I suppose, was my uh, France was my second culture, um, but I've lived uh, in Morgantown, West Virginia, now for many year, more years than uh, it, that's been my uh, gosh for more than 30 years. I've yeah, lived there, so, so your base. So, Is, and are you there because you met your wife and she's? Uh, based yeah, there? my wife took me there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I met this uh, this West Virginian girl. Um, Uh, 30-some years ago, and uh, then uh, I went there and uh, came to the Southwest, you know, lived in Albuquerque for, um, you know, my fascination with America was always the West. Mm, yeah. So I was, I was um, as a kid, I was, I was um, duly, um, uh, should I say, I was... Um, socialized in the American West story uh, I suppose one way to say it but uh, so yeah I watch a lot of Western movies which a couple days ago I went to old Tucson the 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 the, the set of, um, the 
whole movie set where Bonanza and Zorro and right. and countless other movies that I have seen, you know, throughout the years. I mean, I've seen probably hundreds of westerns. Yeah, but well, we just came of, through Yuma, yeah, you know, a big western movie place. Yeah, yeah, and there are these sand dunes up here where I guess they shot Lawrence of Arabia and. Imperial Imperial uh, Valley, or it's like an hour called? drive yeah. west of here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it's beautiful, yeah, yeah. just pure sand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Have you ever read uh, Edward Abbey, Desert Solitaire? No, that's a beautiful book um, based in Moab in the Four Corners okay. area of Utah. Really good book in terms of the sort of um, mythology of the West and, and desert mm-hmm. as a metaphor for. Uh, purity and uh, it's a beautiful book it's sort of a cult classic so in morgantown are you do you teach there or what's your life no like i guess i'm mostly retired now <laughs> an interesting type of retirement and how's how does your wife deal with you announcing you're about to like be gone for a few months uh well you know it's uh um I guess uh, at this point, she just either kicks me out of the house or just has to deal with it. It's part of the package. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was a traveler when she met me. Right. I was a sailor, actually, when she met me. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, On your own boat? or uh, No, no. I worked in the cruise industry for some years. Ah, okay. Right. <laughs> Applying the, the, the cruise trade around the Caribbean and along the, around the coasts of America. Um, I, um, the first trip I took her, I took her to Europe on a motorcycle. Mm. I mean, not on a, took her around Europe on a motorcycle. Yeah, Yeah. got that. (laughs) So, uh, uh, she got a taste of it early on. That's what I, that's what I, um, I, I suppose I wanted to travel a lot. That was at nine years old. I remember this first trip that I took on the bus going from Portugal to France. It's a three day bus trip and went from a warm and sunny country to a snowy and cold one. It was February. So um, about, uh, let's see, 50 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) So about 50 years ago, this time of the year, I went from sunny Arizona to uh, cold West Virginia, except that the weather now is all screwed up. Yeah. So it's colder in in Arizona today than it is in West Virginia. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was a three day uh, bus trip across uh, Portugal, Spain, and France to mm. the northern part of France, where I first saw saw snow. <laughs> oh wow, fifty years. <laughs> so yeah. um, uh, that probably gave me a pretty good taste of travel mm. um i i don't know i mean i i just like travel for a long time but i was fascinated by all these books about travel early on in my life but uh having done that trip probably kind of i don't know just got it in me because Keep going. well my father was a sailor too yeah. he was a navy so right, right. <laughs> and apparently There's something there <laughs> I was growing while while he was on a trip. So I was talking to so, um, uh, a woman, my neighbor. She's ninety one. She just turned ninety one, uh, and I was introducing her to a friend of mine. And uh, my friend said to her, because she's in great shape, she's smart, super sharp. You know, totally. Uh, you know, physically, you can see she's she's been around the the track a few times, but mentally, she's totally there. And my friend said to her, what's, what's the secret? And she said, no, I don't know. Just keep moving. Yep. I really think I th- that's I think, I think that's what I've been learning from people as I see them. You know, I see people, you know, they're like 80 years old and out there, you know, driving their herds across Central Asia or um, you got to keep doing something, you know. Um, my grandmother, who was a maid all of her life, well, she was a governess in a house and cook and raised a bunch of educated kids, uh, but she was a maid nonetheless for all of her life. When she was about um, 65, I 
I uh, thought I was going to get her um, um, into a nice place and um, brought her to my house and uh, thought that uh, that'd be good. She had done enough and be a retirement. And within a few months, she was just feeling worse and worse. She ended up going to work again mm. and be working for the same family for another uh, 14 years. <laughs> uh, I mean, not 14 years, for another, uh, oh gosh, uh, nine years. Hog. 14 years, yes. Yeah, that's it was it. 14. Yeah, yeah, it was 14 years. So um, uh, definitely... She was working until, well, probably three months before she, she passed away. And uh, she was happier doing that. She had, uh, she felt like she was useful. She mm. she had her routine. Yeah. Uh, people depended on her, you know. Yeah, it was meaning. And uh, uh, she was the gatekeeper, you know. It was, um, um, so, and I've seen other people around the world that, pretty much just the same thing you know they just sometimes life is harsh but it just gives gives them meaning you know yeah. it's it's uh, so you have to have meaning to life so if you want to be uh living a long time uh you have to have meaning you have to have social relationships yeah. you have to talk to people and it's not enough to just talk on the phone it's meeting face to face it's sitting around or standing at the fence maybe sometimes but uh, um this is one of the things about america that is just sometimes downright you know we just had this tragedy and uh in 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 florida and uh um the story of that kid is one that just points out our society has been in a way failing us yeah. it's the isolation and that exactly. kid had a story that um he did a an evil thing but warning signs were out there and the warning signs um is he had this thing that developed over time, but he ended up having a resentment of society. That's how I see it. Yeah. His father and, and had... With reason. Yeah. His yeah. father had passed away of cancer. Yeah. And then his mother passed away yeah. when he was 18. And that's when he got expelled from school. Right. That's when and, he needed help and he didn't get help. And he didn't get the help, I think, that he needed. And yeah. it was this isolation. So people that are out there... I mean, the stories are pretty much, it ends up being on all these mass murders, ended up being people that were isolated from society. Yeah. And it's not good for you mentally because <sighs> human beings are animals in the end. I mean, that means yeah. that we're just part of this evolutionary process that has taken millions of years to, to accomplish. And, you know, we need this, you know, it's like the bees. They have their meaning. They're out there doing something for their queen, you know, and the ants. And it's like, if you look at, you know, I remember being in, in on top of a tall building. I mean, you can do this in New York. It would be the same thing. But I was in Asia, looking down on the street and seeing just people going about. Yeah. And it's like, you could be looking at ants out there, yeah. you know? But it's just like the motions. It's like we go through all these activities and we think we're so different. No, in the end, it's like um, we, nobody can live in isolation. Yeah. You have to be out there. Um, if you, human beings have to have, to exist, have to have two people that I've met get together. Yeah. And uh, it takes... Um, you know the cliche is takes a village to raise a child but it it takes yeah it's what we've seen around the world it takes a village you know and things are not always perfect and many fall through the cracks and well uh, these tragedies are some of those people that fell through the cracks but it's um, I was reading the story about some other guy that did a, a bicycle trip last year and he called it the empathy tour and it's um so empathy is needed. Sometimes you need to put yourself in someone's shoes, someone else's shoes, and see why are they feeling the way they are. But um, 
um, you have to reach out and talk to people. You know, it's like sometimes people want to to talk. You know, sometimes people want to. Well, here I am talking. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Tell tell us again the website. Uh, JMD Photo. JMD Photo with an F. Dot net. Dot net. All right. All right. Thank you, John. Dead baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? soft touch why don't you let it out to play your heart is in a bird cage singing in your chest you want to shut it up or give it a rest you're gonna die one day why do we waste our time think about an obligation running from a confrontation wondering what we ought to say Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.